Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. With every primary election, we're learning that women voters are engaged and unhappy with our political status quo and the candidates who support it. Today, we talk with Dr. Stephanie Rose Spaulding, a Baptist preacher and progressive Democrat running for Congress in Colorado. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Thank you so much for joining us. We are really excited to share our conversation with Dr. Stephanie Rose Spaulding. But first, we are going to cover a little bit of news, including some horrifying reporting from the Washington Post that the United States government is cracking down, seems to be the wrong terminology, because I don't think there's an actual problem that needs to be solved here, but ramping up efforts to examine actual United States citizens' birth certificates and refusing to renew passports, revoking passports, and in some cases actually detaining United States citizens because the government believes their birth certificates were fraudulent. This is all based on a case from the 1990s in which there was shown that some birth attendants and midwives to babies born along the Texas-Mexico border were actually born in Mexico and the birth certificates were fraudulent. They're basically going after anybody who was born via midwife or birth attendant. Now, I'm going to try not to get too mad about this, but this, I had to go through such ridiculous steps to get a birth certificate for my two children born at home. 
I literally had to go to the health department and show them a picture on my cell phone of my child crowning. Discuss. So, like, I'm sorry the government doesn't have a really awesome system for birth certificates not born at home. And I'm sorry there was maybe some fraudulent cases along the border in the 1990s. But this is not the solution. The solution is not to discriminate against a particular type of birth or, obviously, a particular race of people and just uses use it as an excuse to harass, which I think is what they're actually doing. This is going to be another stain in an unbelievably horrific chapter of our history. I said to someone on Twitter this morning, I hope we don't lose our capacity to be outraged by things like this because I everything mm-hmm. happening around our border is mind-blowingly bad. Additionally, the amount of money that is going to be accrued in legal fees mm-hmm. is shocking. Oh, I thought you were testifying about the type the amount of money this is going to cost our stinking government. No, it is. I am also angry about that. It is. It is the amount of money that it's going to cost our government, the amount of money it's going to cost these poor people who just mm-hmm. want to live in their country, right? The country of their birth according to their birth certificates. Because our judiciary fortunately has said loud and clear over and over, it will not be complicit in perpetuating nationalist racist policies this is going to be resolved in court over a very long period of time probably in hundreds of cases that probably go on appeal somewhere down the line and it's just an unbelievable waste for what in addition to all of the trauma that it inflicts on people in the process And also, do we really think that fraudulent birth certificates is just this huge gaping crisis in our immigration system? Is that really what we think is the problem? Because I don't think that's the problem. When I want immigration reform, this is not what I'm thinking about. And there are problems in our immigration system. We've talked about this. It would make more sense to talk about ways to figure out when people have overstayed their visas than to be looking at fraudulent birth certificates. It's like the ham-handed way to deal Mm -hmm. with a problem that I think is overstated to begin with. But if you're going to say we have a crisis in this country, why are you working here? This is just such an ineffective approach. So I read an article yesterday about positive and negative reinforcement with children. Go with me here. And it was talking about Negative reinforcement um, really escalates the issue. Positive reinforcement almost removes people's motivation to do the right thing, the kids. And that the real issue is if you have a problem with your child, to think, why is this behavior happening? Can I remove the causes of this behavior? The reason we have an immigration problem is not because we don't have enough negative reinforcement in place. That's not the issue. People are dying in the desert by the thousands trying to cross. That's a pretty big negative reinforcement. Not much, not to mention putting themselves at the mercy of smugglers who abuse and exploit. I mean, the negative reinforcement, particularly to crossing on the southern border, is extremely high and it's not stopping anything. So let's ask ourselves why there are these problems in the first place. What's wrong with the system that people do 
risk so much to cross that people do overstay their visas. The problem is the process, the immigration process to get in this country illegally is broken. It takes too long. It is too convoluted. It doesn't help people who should be coming in, and it doesn't keep people who shouldn't out in many circumstances. It's just, it's broken. The system is broken. It's not, we can still keep hitting our heads against a wall thinking, well, it's just people who won't respect the system. No, the system is not worthy of respect. That's the problem. Well, additionally, and I talk about this in one of the nightly nuances this week, the relationship between trade and immigration is significant. And if you look at the data over the past 20 years, as our trade relationship with Mexico improved, Mexico's economy improved, and immigration from Mexico declined. Mm -hmm. The immigration that's happening at the border right now, where people feel like there are there's a crisis of people trying to cross. That immigration is from Central America, not from Mexico, because Central America's economy is in shambles. And because the economy is in shambles, it's a very violent place right now. And so our administration's approach seems to be all sticks, as you've said before, Sarah. It's we're going to crack down on immigration at the border. We're going to apparently examine every American citizen to believe they're American enough to be granted the rights and privileges of U.S. citizenship. And we're going to brag very publicly and often about how we're renegotiating all of our trade deals to get something better for America in the process. And I think that is just a recipe for long-term failure economically, civically, and in terms of our immigration system. And I'm just, I'm baffled by people who think things are really going well right now. I'm disgusted and discouraged. That's what I am. Disgusted and discouraged. And you know, I hate talking like this. I was thinking about, you remember when we talked to Jen Hatmaker and she was so honest in saying that she understands how to be Christian popular. That's pretty easy. What's not easy is being honest. And I've thought about that a lot. And I was thinking, I I feel like I understand now how to be resistance popular. And mm-hmm. that's that's really a thing. And you can watch people doing it. I'm just going to be resistance popular. I'm going to post every day about how bad things are. Have I told you lately how bad things are? Let me remind you how bad things are. Let me remind mm-hmm. you how awful the president is. I don't want to do that. That is not in the spirit of what we're trying to do here. I hate having these conversations where I'm just bashing, bashing, bashing the federal government. This is really awful. And so I feel like I I just always want to say when we do this, it's because it's this is really bad. We're putting U.S. citizens in jail because they have brown skin and Hispanic sounding names. And we've decided we don't believe they were born in our country. What are mm-hmm. we doing? Here's my other thing. We still have children separated from their families. Why are you spending immigration resources digging into people's birth certificates this way? Exactly. Exactly. I would like you to do other things. Please and thank you. Speaking of disgusted and discouraged, it seems Don McCain has reached that point and is leaving the White House, along with all his lieutenants. I was reading a really interesting thing in the Politico that it was like, there's going to be all these, for better or for worse, I think we can all assume at this point that there are going to be a lot of unemployed Republican legislative aides come election time. 
And like they just don't have a list of people willing to work in the White House. Even these people who are like sort of looking unemployment in the face are like, no, I'm good. I don't want to go there. So people are leaving and nobody's coming. That should that should play out well come midterms. I think that fits in with the reporting about how the president doesn't seem to have his head around the legal turmoil that is maybe mm-hmm. just at his door. And I don't know what that'll look like candidly. What I know is that were I the White House counsel, I would be running for the exit, not walking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For a lot of reasons, not the least of which is how complicated the duties owed by the White House counsel are. Is he the counsel to the presidency or to the president? You know, they're, they're, it's very thorny. And when he's going to be asked, as he's already been, to be interviewed, perhaps to testify, he's just he needs to just go somewhere and hire a really, really good lawyer. It's been interesting, though. He has said that he is still going to be affiliated with the, the Trump reelection campaign. Like, he's not leaving Trump world. He's just leaving this post. And I was thinking, you know, post Omarosa... I think we all kind of understand what that means. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're saying the president doesn't have his head around the legal trouble he's facing, that to me is indicative of the fact that he, in many ways, believes the stories he's telling. He believes that it's, I don't know, I struggle. Does he believe that it's just a witch hunt and they're not going to turn up anything? I think there's too much for them to to turn up that he participated in for him to truly believe that. Or maybe he just truly believes they won't find it or he'll get away with it. You know, I think to a certain extent to be as bombastic and bullying as he is about certain storylines surrounding this administration, he has to believe them on some level. And that is problematic to go from, you know, his only skill, which is PR, to the legal reality that you're facing, like that's a hard channel to change to in the best of circumstances, much less if you're as extreme a person as he is. So we're recording at 1126 Eastern time at this moment. And today the president has already had, I don't know, seven, eight tweets about the rigged witch hunt, about Bruce Orr, about James Comey. I mean, it's... (sighs) I'm I'm at the point now where I just realize, and this is a, a process for me. I have to keep coming back to it, that this just is what it seems to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is disgusting and discouraging. That's the title for this episode. Disgusted and discouraged. Except I hate for it to be because Stephanie Spalding is the opposite. But. That's right. It won't be, but the second half of the show will be a nice contrast <laughs> to the first so true. half. Yeah. I mean, you wanted to you want to like read into it, but I mean it's my Angelou, man, when people show you who they are, believe them. He showed us who he is since like the 80s. <laughs> Not just since he's been running. Since ever. Man, another thing I hate to do is spend any time on his tweets. But all of these tweets about how if you if you read a story that quotes anonymous sources, you should assume it's fake. Like, he has been an anonymous source about himself for his decades. whole life. I mean, his whole life. But now, I listen, in his defense, a lot of that time, he was probably lying. He was lying as an anonymous source. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's no way every time he called to be an anonymous source, he was telling the truth. Thanks for that insight then, I guess, Mr. President. I, I look at his his Twitter feed right now and a lot of his public statements and think about the way that I talk to Jane sometimes when she just continues to tell me the same thing over and over again. Usually it's about how badly she needs to have a sleepover. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I've just started saying to her, 
I heard you. I answered you. We're moving on now. And that's really what I want to say to the president. We've all heard you. We understand what your position is on the investigation. We understand how you feel about Hillary Clinton. We understand how you feel about James Comey. Mm -hmm. We heard you. We're going to move on now. That's not happening. It is. It's like the tactic you take with a toddler. You mirror their feelings back to them. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe as a child, he never had his feelings affirmed and mirrored back to him. I mean, it's a little late for that now, but. Maybe we need a chief of staff who could just walk in and say, I understand you feel like you've been treated very unfairly today. Yeah. Uh I'd like to redirect your attention now to some pressing world issues. The problem is, though, like Harvey Karp says, you have to mirror their level of emotional intensity. So you couldn't walk in like Beth and be all like, (laughs) we understand you treated unfairly. Like I would probably have to do it. I'd be like... You are being treated unfairly. I Oh, my God. You're so mad because you're being treated unfairly. I know you're being treated unfairly. Like, listen, I mean, I'm telling you, I think Happiest Toddler on the Block would be a helpful book for the chief of staff to Donald Trump. I'm for real. I'm not being facetious. I'm for anything that makes it better. That's where oh. I am. I'm for if that helps him. In some ways, that sounds like what Hope Hicks role might have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if that mm-hmm. helps. Bring her back. Whatever helps. Let's just make it better. Let's make it better because this is so ridiculous. However, it seems motivating for folks, as we saw in the returns from Florida's primaries. I really liked the reporting about it was so powerful to be a female on the ballot that even there were several Democratic women institutional candidates that got challenged by males on the left. And the voters were like, no, we're still going to stick with her. I'm digging it. I just dig it. I'm just going to be honest. So the main story out of Florida has been about the gubernatorial race, and I will say that the Republican candidate that emerged from the primary is very discouraging to me. However, when we talked about Me Too early on in that movement, one of the things that I said is that perhaps this bone just has to break all the way before it can heal. And when I look at a candidate like DeSantis, I think all right, I guess this bone is just breaking all the way and hopefully it can start to heal. And I think these extreme candidates coming out of Republican primaries make it much, much easier for especially suburban women like me, right? The soccer mom, security mom demographic to vote for Democrats. It just makes it not hard at all. That's true. Yeah, as the same dynamic is surfacing in Florida as we're looking at in Georgia and a couple other places. I just thought, you know, there's a part of me, the, f- the fear-based voice in my head that says, oh, Democrats, I hope this is the right strategy. You know, I hope this sort of identity-driven um, approach is right. I hope we're not just flaming uh, the discord in our nation. And then there's another part of me that's like, you know what? I don't care. Like, I don't care if it's the most winning strategy because I feel like it's the right one. I feel like it's sort of the it's the what I want my party to look like over the next few decades. I want it to look like these candidates. And so that just makes me so proud, even if I am nervous and I can't tell the future. And, you know, so much of it will come down to it's not as simple as identity versus Trump. I mean, so much of it is what kind of campaign you run, your fundraising prowess, how you meet the candidate, you know, how you meet the voters, how you talk to them, all those things. But, you know, I just look at these races as a Democrat and I think I'm just so proud and I'm so excited about the future of the party. I know we have some old leadership that might or might not need to get out of the way. I get that. 
But like we also have such a deep bench, which is a sports analogy, which in theory we're opposed to on Pantsy Politics, but it just works so well. <laughs> and we do. We just have so many people that I'm like, I'm just so encouraged by the smart, awesome, passionate political leaders that are surfacing all over the country in Democratic races. I am. Mean, it's just it's so it's the opposite of disgusted and discouraged. I can tell you that much. I'm I am empowered and encouraged. After a quick break, you're going to hear from one of those emerging leaders, Dr. Stephanie Rose Spaulding. Dr. Spaulding has a PhD. She is an ordained minister. She started a nonprofit focused on sustainability, and she is a very inspiring person. So we're excited to share that discussion with you. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. 
and you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash pantsuit. Good morning. I am Stephanie Rose Spaulding running for U.S. House of Representatives here in Colorado's 5th Congressional District. And I got into this race after a lot of the responses to the 2016 election cycle. I had not dreamt of being a politician before. I'm currently a professor of women's and ethnic studies pastor of a local congregation here in Colorado Springs and community activist. And I was really happy with my life in in those areas. And I am still happy with my life in those areas. However, as a professor of women's and ethnic studies, many of my students were tremendously distraught after the 2016 election cycle and reasonably so especially as they learn about justice movements, history and culture in the United States and things of that nature. Many of them just had this break and wanted to know what was the point? Why continue to do justice work if the results were going to be similar to what happened in 2016? And So as a professor and one who always understands the the teaching moment and having to hold really fragile people together, I had to remind them that now was not the time to give up. This was absolutely the most important time to live our values that much more, to be committed to justice that much more. And I would share with them what would have happened if in the 98th year, not knowing it would take 100 that women gave up in the suffrage movement or what would have happened in 1806 if abolitionists were like, we're never going to abolish slavery or even with the civil rights movement. So just reminding them that, yes, the arc of justice might take a little bit long to get there, but it does bend towards justice and we have to keep doing this work. And so I went to the Women's March as well in January, you know, and having all of this on my plate, thinking about how to teach students, how to be the change and be an example. I was utterly moved by what was happening around the globe and just being present in Washington, D.C. And it was from there that I I understood for myself what it looked like to disrupt my own comfort and to put skin in the game and dig deeper. That is the most touching answer to why are you running for Congress that I've ever heard. (laughs) And so as you mentioned, you have a PhD, you're an ordained minister, and I know that you are the child of retired public school teachers. And in addition to everything that you just said, I'll be thinking about that question, what is the point of continuing to do justice work for a long time? You lead on your website with education as your top issue. Can you talk about that? Again, as you pointed out, I grew up on the south side of Chicago 
both of my parents were non-traditional students. They had children, five of us, as they were working through their bachelor's and then other degrees. And it really was because someone intervened in their lives and was able to encourage them, even though they had thought that higher education was not for them. Someone intervened and suggested that they should go to school and was very active in helping them to get their degrees. And then I watched them to continue and to pursue more and more throughout my life as a child. And when they began their careers at Chicago Public Schools, I also witnessed how much education was inequitable across the board, not because you had teachers who weren't caring. It was the exact opposite. They didn't have the resources and the the social circumstances of the lives of some young people. And of course, as a child, what it felt like was like, oh, my mom's at work till eight o'clock at night. But as I grew up and I understood that her being at work meant that the school could stay open and that young people in that community where she was teaching could have electricity and heat in Chicago winter, that for me was just a game changer in terms of how I began to think about education as the great equalizer. And so for me, as a professor, knowing the many different areas in which education is inequitable and being able to see it in my classrooms, being able to see it across the district, I know that we have to do better. We have to do better by the communities that so often have been left behind. And also we have to do better by ourselves that when we're not adequately educating our future, we are really binding our society and inhibiting our own growth. So there's so much across this district that has to be addressed, whether it's issues of broadband access in our rural communities and in some school districts in the 5th Congressional District, we're moving toward four-day-a-week school. And it's not because it's better for the curriculum. They're doing that because they don't have the funding to stay open five days a week. That's horrific. So we have to we have to do better. And that's why education is very much central to my platform, especially higher education and young people who are pursuing degrees and being chained by student loan debt. That's, you know, it's it's such a problem in many ways that is going to come back and bite us. So, Stephanie, as you watch what's happening across the country, you know, there's a lot more women being elected in primaries. It seems to be a good time to be a woman on the ballot. And you go out in your district as a candidate very different than what your district historically elects. What do you feel like the voters are hungry for? What are you hearing from people? What really surprises you when you get out and talk to the voters one on one? So they want to actually talk to their representative. They want a representative who represents them. We live in a district where the incumbent has been in office for 12 years now, and people throughout this district have repeatedly said, I've seen you more in the last 14 months than I've seen this person in 12 years. They Mm -hmm. want someone who is actually working 
many people ask, what is the difference between me and the incumbent? And I share jokingly that I get up and I go to work. I have three jobs right now, campaigning, professing, and pastoring. And that's part of what it takes to actually represent a district. Often the incumbent isn't even there to cast a vote in Congress. So it's like, why are we paying you? (laughs) Again, help us to understand. And so, yes, there there are a variety of different issues around access to healthcare, education, protecting our public lands and environment, but really people are hungry for someone who is actually going to show up. You talked about public lands for a second, and I know that sustainability is close to your heart. Can you talk a little bit about your experiences um, in sustainability work and how you would prioritize it as a member of Congress? Yes. Colorado is, as we like to call it, it's God's country. <laughs> it's open sky. It is just the the majesty of land, earth, air, all of it, water. Um, and for those who don't know, America the Beautiful was written for land space here in Colorado, specifically Pikes Peak Mountain, mm-hmm. um, where the writer was standing at the peak and looking out into the vastness of of Colorado's beauty. And so for Coloradans, protecting our land and environment is extremely important. And it's central to our economies. In parts of this district that I would represent, the level of drought has hit our economic growth because so much depends on outdoor water sports and outdoor activities Mm -hmm. that we have to make sure that we are protecting and thinking about climate change and our relationship with protecting our environment, protecting our watersheds. Just a month ago, the EPA was here in Whiteville Fountain and Security, again, part of the 5th Congressional District, because of water contamination. There's absolutely no reason why the levels of contamination were as high as they were when we are so close to a water source from the mountain peak, right? And so that that really is human error that has caused that kind of problem and is making people literally and physically sick in our district that we have to address. We have to make sure that our our energies are renewable and sustainable without leaving communities behind. And as we move towards renewable solar, wind, hydraulic energies, we also have to protect the communities that have thrived off of fossil energy as well. And so having helping them to move forward as we move forward is very essential. And then the last piece for us is fire prevention and mitigation. We because of drought, have experienced a number of wildfires in recent history. And it's behooving upon me why we have an incumbent who has not worked with the federal government and local protectors to make sure that we have access to the tools that we need to mitigate and to prevent fires, and then to also protect from the flooding that happens once you have burn scars. So 
it is very much the environment is so important to who we are as Coloradans and our economies. Stephanie, what would you say to a woman considering running for public office for the first time? Do it. (laughs) (laughs) And it doesn't matter what office it is. I say, go for it. Learn. Just just dive in. And there are so many resources and tools available to help women who are who are thinking about running, whether it's Emerge America, Run for Something, Higher Heights for America. There are so many tools and resources. Do not listen to the naysayers. And again, for me, it's always a win because you learn so much. You touch so many people's lives and your life grows. You contribute to the conversation. I am such an advocate. There was a volunteer for us, a young woman who started off as a volunteer for our campaign back in January. And throughout, she was so excited. Young mother, 23 years old, young wife, student. And throughout the process, by April, we were looking around at, at our county and there were seats where people were not running. We had no candidates who were running in those seats. And she stepped up to run. And I was so excited that she was inspired and encouraged to believe in herself. And she's running a wonderful campaign right now for a state house district. And again, it's the encouraging and someone just saying you are capable and you are worth your voice being in the room and at the table. I would say just do it. And if you need help, please call me and I will give you all of the tools and the resources that I have gathered over my own journey. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered showerhead. 
Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the canopy-filtered showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your canopy-filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. ask you how you're finding it running in a district that has never elected a Democrat. You are a historic candidate in a couple of ways, right? Because you'd be the first Democrat elected by your district and the first Black woman elected to represent Colorado in Congress. What is that like for you? And what has been frustrating about that? And what has been surprisingly great about it? There are, of course, many frustrations because the challenges particular to my race are extremely unique. (laughs) I was having this conversation with someone the other day that the biggest hurdle is not running against an incumbent. It's running against the spirit of apathy and misinformation. So because we have never had a Democrat to win this seat, At the beginning of this journey, there were so many people who were just like, it's not possible to be done. And if you know me, then you know that I don't live by that at all, that anything is possible when you believe, right? So the improbable is not impossible if you have, if you believe that you are able to do it. So having to convince other Democrats themselves that we have an actual shot at winning this seat was probably one of the most difficult things. And then there's also the complexity of identity politics that come into play running in a district like this. Because yes, I'm an African-American, I'm a woman, but I'm also a progressive Baptist pastor. And for people that sound very much like a unicorn, so you have ideologues on all sides of the fence who are like, oh, you can't be a pastor and support women's reproductive choice and reproductive health and rights. And I'm like, I can, and I can be a feminist black woman who is a pastor of a Baptist congregation. And I can be loving and open and affirming. Um, 
So all of that also plays into the kinds of challenges that I face in a particularly um, identity politics heavy district. Um, But the joy has been being a unicorn in this place (laughs) and, and being able to change the narrative and the perspective for people for them to expand and broaden how they think about Christianity, how we think about what love is, how we think about what is necessary and the kinds of conversations, what a Democrat looks like, right? What a progressive mm-hmm. looks like. I think that that has been simultaneously the greatest joy as well as complication of running in this particular district. I think that is awesome. And we're really excited to follow your race. How are you feeling coming into the the next month or so? I know it's going to be very busy. What are you focused on? Oh, we are. We're focused on just persuading those who who just don't know. Right there. Again, there have been so many because of the the history of this district who have been like, oh, well, we won't even have a conversation with that community because we know that they won't move. And what I find at the doors, because we are, we're canvassing every day. When I talk to voters, they are in a place where no one has ever talked to them before, especially our unaffiliated voters. We have 40% of our voting block that are unaffiliated. And because people make assumptions about the way that they're going to vote, they haven't had anyone talk to them. So that's our focus over the next month. We are so excited. We've gotten some tremendous support from across the country. Um, American Federation of Government Employees, they just endorsed our campaign. And for some that might be like, oh, who, you know, who cares? But it's one of the largest unions in the country. And when we think about how our community thrives here in the Fifth District, there are five military installations. And many people want to think about the enlisted um, military officers and service members and their dependents. But we also cannot have a single base that operates without civil employees. So we're excited that this is one of the largest groups of union members to endorse our campaign and the relationships that we're able to build in different communities and, and bring people together in a conversation across our district. We're every day gaining momentum. And, and if people have been watching and saw what happened across the country on Tuesday in Florida, I don't know what else is going to inspire them <laughs> to know that anything is possible this election cycle. I want to ask you a question that we tend to ask folks who are running for Congress, and I always love hearing their answers. Beyond legislation, when you first get to Congress, your first few months, what do you really want to do? What's really important to you? Building relationships. And that, for me, is why I've already started with many of the members, whether they are Congressional Black Caucus members or the state delegation, Diana DeGette at Perlmutter, it's so important to be able to move forward the legislation that has to happen 
immediately. And that's going to take relationships. I, at the beginning of this campaign, I would answer that question and say, I'm probably going to be looking for the bathroom on the first, (laughs) (laughs) but, but now a year and some months later, because I've been constantly already engaging other representatives who I know will be there in, in January, I won't spend a year quote unquote, looking for the bathroom, I can immediately get in and begin to move the legislation that has to be pushed forward for the safety and the protection of people who have been left behind. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about how we are going to be able to unify the country after this election cycle. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about you or how they can be supportive of your campaign? Absolutely. Again, I I just want people to know that there's nothing particularly special about who I am. And it can be any one of us when we say, yes, I saw a need and there was a gap that needed to be filled. And I said, if you send me, I will go. And I continue to say that to constituents here in the 5th District, if you are willing to send me, I will go and I will represent you and I will do the things that help to move our district, our state, our country forward. And that's my accountability measure is making sure that I'm doing the things that are necessary for the people who have invested in me. And for those who are listening and want to invest, whether you live in Colorado, 5th Congressional District or not, you can support our campaign financially. We are online at www.stephanie.com. And you can invest financially. You can volunteer from anywhere in the country. If you email us, we can help you to phone bank for us. And you can share our social media platforms, again, that you can find on our website, which is stephanierosefordcongress.com. Anywhere in the world, you can find a way to plug in and to support our campaign. Well, we will put all those links in our show notes. And thank you so much for being here and sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you so much. It is such a pleasure. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Stephanie Spalding. We will be back on Tuesday with the continuation of our series on 9-11. We'll be talking about the invasion and occupation of Iraq. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsy Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin. Elise Knapp is our production assistant. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tracy Putoff, George Niedermeyer, James Randall, Cherry Haas, Nicholas Holland, and Chad Silvers. To support Pantsy Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can connect with us on our website, www.pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly emails and follow us on Instagram.